This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is an audio version of the 24th annual Dice Awards Roundtable series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Let's dive in with the nominees for Outstanding Achievement in Game Design. I'd like to find out a little bit more about how each of you approaches your new assignments and how your work evolves over the development of your game, what you've learned or created throughout the course of making those games, and how that all works together to make the stuff that you've made for this year. This is the 24th Annual Dice Awards conversation with the nominees, so let's get to the introductions so we can ask you all some fantastic questions. Uh, first up, we have from Ghost of Tsushima, Nate Fox. How are you doing, Nate? Feel great. I've got a lot of coffee on hand, so I'm going to speak very quickly in this. So I'm a creative director on Ghost of Tsushima, um, and my focus is really on a, a game design and how it integrates with uh, narrative through systems and missions. And no stare downs. I appreciate that. No stare downs in, in, in the game. Uh, from Hades, we have Amir Rao. How are you doing, Amir? I'm good. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to have you here. I'd love for you to share a little bit of info about some of the work you've done. Sure. I'm the studio director of Supergiant Games. Uh, my focus is on uh, coordinating our work together, and I also do game design at the studio. So on Hades specifically, I uh, designed uh, some of the content and I tuned all of it. So enemies, boons, powers, weapons, and all that kind of stuff was my area of focus for Hades. Perfect. We have lots of things to talk about, lots of things to discuss. Uh, from Half-Life Alex, we have Corey Peters. How are you doing, Corey? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm a level designer here at Valve, and on uh, Half-Life Alex, pretty much just focused on the player experience throughout the game. Well, thank you so much for being here. Awesome to have you here as well. Uh, from Last of Us 2, we have Amelia Schatz and Richard Cambier. How are you doing? Again. Good to, good to see you both. Amelia, give a little bit of uh, info for the folks at home about the work that you've done. Uh, sure. Um, I was um, a lead game designer on Last of Us Part Two, and um, that involved doing a lot of like from the start, like prototyping gameplay and systems and things like that. And uh, but my real specialty is in uh, level design and layout and thinking about how those systems interact with our environments so that we can have, for instance, lots of different combat encounters that use lots of different systems. And every single one of them feels different because of how you interact with the environment. Fantastic. Fantastic. Richard, some, some thoughts about, you know, how you've been on this game development journey. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, it's really an honor to be here with everyone. Uh, yeah, on The Last of Us Part Two, I was a co-lead with, with M and likewise focus a lot on level layout. Also, you know, really passionate about making sure that we're achieving the goals of the story within like all of the levels and all of the systems and kind of making sure we're getting that cohesion between, uh, between this, all those different uh, different areas. And then also a particular passion of mine on part two was the AI 
and kind of see what different advancements we could make with that and how those fit and to achieve some of the same story and level goals. Very, very cool. And, and from Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales, we have Cameron Christian. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm game director over at Insomniac Games, um, and I help kind of direct all things combat, traversal, mission design. You know, my background originally is in uh, layout and systems. Um, and so, yeah, just really help guide that team. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm super excited to dig in a little bit more into the work that you all do and, and talk about that in respect for the games that you've made. Um, a, a kind of general question for the room and we'll, we'll walk, we'll go around the horn in terms of answers would be, you know, as game designers, you're most kind of responsible for how the responsibilities of, of those games have kind of changed through the technology and how it's grown. Um, you know, when, when new technology has kind of come into the space and, and become available, you know, how has that kind of changed the way you've thought about game design and how has that kind of moved the, the, you know, the game design idea kind of forward in terms of the games that you've made? Uh, Amir, I'm going to start off with you on that one. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> that one's a, it's maybe tougher for our 2D video game made with a team of, of less than 17 people. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would say that as a, as a team, we're actually really focused on constraints. And as a small team, we like to embrace the constraints we have. And our constraints are actually much more just around our team, our team size, what we're good at and what we're preoccupied with. Um, so... Uh, you know, whenever whenever technology or tools come along that um, that kind of make those processes easier on us, it's it it's always to our benefit. It makes us more efficient uh, and that type of thing. But um, as a team, we're sort of relentlessly focused on the experience of the game, and um, and so you know we we just try to work together and and collaborate to to make it work for us. Nate, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well about you know how the responsibilities have kind of changed you know, with, with, with new technology kind of being in the space? I think the technology is, is it feels like it just keeps coming and, uh, you know, things become much more lush and uh, experiential. And if anything, that says you really need to keep your eye on the ball of what the experience is you're trying to give people. Suddenly that becomes more and more important as, you know, graphic fidelity improves and, you know, animation nuance it's no longer can we pull it off, it's what do we pull off with these things? And that's the real measure that suddenly becomes just the most important decision that you have to have made early on. Yeah. Amelia and Richard, I'd love to hear a little bit of, of, of a take on that too, especially kind of bouncing off of what Nate shared in terms of limitations now, not necessarily being as grand as they, as they previously were and kind of you having new trade-offs in terms of what you want to be able to do as opposed to what you were able to do in previous. I mean, I mean for, for us, it's always about like, uh, how can we get our ideas in the game as fast as possible? So for us, it's, it's just constant iteration. We play the game, something's not right and we try to fix it. And so uh, as sort of technology evolves, um, kind of our priority as designers is how can we make it work for us so we can do things faster, like faster builds, faster, uh, just seeing the results in game. But the other part of it is that, um, you know, as as our environments, our games become so much more, I don't know, lush and beautiful, as you were, you were saying, um, I think that uh, that puts a lot of pressure on, for instance, layout design on thinking about what that experience is going to look like at the end. We're not looking at um, a very rough sort of warehouse environment anymore. 
Uh, and from the very beginning, as I'm sort of laying out a level space, I need to have a lot more, I, I think my designers need to have a lot more um, knowledge of architecture and history and how, um, how plants grow into ruins and things like that. Because a lot of times just at that lock mesh stage, like we are expected to have a bit of that um, sort of art direction and figuring out like how, how do these spaces work together. And of course, we, we, we do work as closely as we can with the environment artists that uh, eventually, um, you know, flesh out those spaces for us, but we really have to, it's kind of, it, it's meant that we have to um, take on a lot of that responsibility ourselves as well. And um, uh, yeah. Richard, any, any, any thoughts to add to that? Uh, I think she really touches on some of the, some of the large scale stuff. I also think for us, it's all the little details too that we get to push for the technology of like, okay, you know, for example, maybe we had some plants in the space and now how do we get them to move well as the player moves forward, moves through them. And we talk about immersion, we talk about that feeling of like, you know, more of the things in the world move or break or react to you, your feeling of being in the space. I think that's areas where technology uh, has really increased that feeling or improved that feeling. And for us, a lot of that is, you know, not only in some of our ideas of like, you know, what, uh, improved technology with our flashlight or our lighting technology that can really add to this, again, this immersive feel or this creepy feel or that uh, some of the intensity that goes into The Last of Us, but also really encouraging the other teams and departments that's looking through the dice list again and being like, oh yeah, it's the advancements in the animation, it's the advancements in the art direction, it's advancements of all these other departments and getting those departments excited and asking, getting them to ask the questions, what do you want to see improve? You know, effects department, what do you want to see improved? What do you think we can do that we've never done before? It's going to add to moments of like, you know, tears dropping from Ellie and that landing on the cloth. Now you see that go, you're like, okay, that's, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's stuff like that, that, that definitely adds this layer of immersion that we haven't seen before and, and, and is growing in our expectations now of what we kind of hope to see as the player. Uh, Corey, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to hear your, you, you chime in on this as well. What are some of the, kind of responsibilities that you found that, that have changed, you know, because of new technology and, and even stuff that you all have kind of made in-house to kind of help this move forward as well. Uh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, with Half-Life Alex, it was kind of fun in a lot of ways because we were dealing with new technology. A lot of the games uh, that we've made in the past were just sort of, it's iterative where you're, where you've got more processing power, you've got, you can do more, you can, you can put more en enemies on the screen and stuff like that. But with, uh, with VR, all of a sudden we had an independent view and you had two hands uh, to manipulate the world with. And that just led to a whole different discovery chain that would just happen uh, through every single playtest that we would end up doing. Players would just keep doing things or expecting things to work. And we would have to, to basically revisit the, the drawing board and, and go back and go, oh, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? Players want to do X. How do we give that to them? Um, and so, you know, coupling that with the technology side of things, we were developing, you know, our, our new controllers at the time too. And so that led to all sorts of other fun things of not just pushing buttons on controllers, but being able to grasp and manip manipulate objects with your hands and being able to uh, let players uh, just explore their environment uh, the way you might normally explore an environment. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, really, really exciting stuff. Yeah, it, it feels like that even has come through a lot in, in, in Miles Morales where, you know, light has been, has been a, a very, very specific part of that game that feels very different in the way that it conveys 
you know, the new powers that, that Miles has in, in, in the game. Uh, you know, he has these extra abilities now compared to, to Peter Parker. And, you know, he's, he's developed these new powers alongside, you know, his story kind of emerging through this. You know, do you feel like the technology in this space, Cameron, has kind of helped you to really pull those things to the forefront of saying, like, these new powers that he has, you know, we weren't able to do this in the previous game. We weren't able to do this in with the tech that we had before in these kind of more bigger and profound ways. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think you hit it right there with Miles. A big part is his electric powers and like how we showcase that with VFX and dynamic lights and all that stuff is something we couldn't hit it on a fidelity level that we're able to hit now. And it just really starts connecting you and immersing you even more in the, in the game. You know, I think for us too, another fun thing on the technology front is we were a launch title for PlayStation 5. And so, you know, we got to play with the new controller a lot and like, what is that? What is the new vibration? And just with games in general, new tech is just fun to play and experiment with. And so having the ability to be like, how does this new, you know, PS5 controller work? What can we do with it? How can we push feedback on it? Was another thing in that whole package of like Miles Powers and how we get that feeling and the look and the immersion going. So it's all super exciting. Yeah, it's it's really cool how all of that has kind of come together. I remember very specifically the first time I used Venom Power and my screen lit up in a, in a way that I didn't have an expectation for. I'd seen trailers and I'd seen other stuff before. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was different in a way that felt tangible, not only to the way that the gameplay experience happened, but to the way you were telling the new story of this character. So it, it definitely feels like there was a, a, a leap, uh, no pun intended, uh, in, yeah. in terms of the ways things have kind of maneuvered in that space. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, go, go ahead, Cameron. I'm, I was going to say, you know, it's like, you start hitting levels sometimes where you can draw everything, but is that good? You know, like we had a, <laughs> an issue where it's just like so much effects. We started to just like kind of pull it back because you're like, you can go that far, but now players can't see anything, you know? So that's the other challenge with new technology and kind of pushing those bounds further, you know? How do you sculpt yeah. it to keep it readable and playable? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the, one of the things I love the most about Hades in that way is that it feels like, with every layer of that game, each part of it kind of, you know, unveils itself as this extra layer of this beautiful cake that we get a chance to kind of partake in. And it, and it feels like the, the boons is, is a part of that conversation is very specific to that and, and how the players kind of interact with those and, and you know, mixing and matching and, and finding out ways to, 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 to use that to find good ways for, for combat. You know, what was your goal when kind of designing each of the gods' abilities? They they have such a a, a breadth and depth of of what they do in the world and how that connects to lore and then how that connects to the to the player and their abilities to kind of you know play the way they want. Uh, you know, what was the conversation that happened when you wanted to give the player this this really kind of big bounty of of, of tools at their disposal? Yeah, it's a combination of uh, what does the game need. You know, like what is an example of something that the game still lacks a player power that might be an interesting build path for them? And that's kind of more of a game design perspective. And then there's also the question of um, what does the narrative require and what are people's expectations of of the gods? I'm, you know, some of them just feel like they were like brilliantly game designed 
um, <laughs> thousands of years ago with, you know, Poseidon and Zeus, um, the powers there are a little bit more obvious. Um, but then for something like Demeter, you know, in Hades expression of Demeter is that she's, um, she's really, really upset that Persephone um, is gone missing. And so, you know, she blankets the world in eternal ice. And that's, uh, that's a kind of our unique interpretation on Demeter. I don't think you necessarily expect ice powers from her, but it's also came out of a game need in our early access, which is Hades got really, 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 really fast over the course of its early access. And um, there was a need for a set of boons that basically slowed the enemies down in some way and opened up some of these other powers. And at the intersection of like our needs on the design side and um, our desire to portray uh, Demeter in this specific way as the goddess of the seasons and specifically uh, cold, um, we basically we basically wrap those things together. Yeah, the the part that I remember from when I first initially got to play Hades was just how all those systems started to kind of unfold. And then you're like, oh, if I mix and match these things, I can min max to a certain extent my my actual abilities to be able to play this game in a way that feels good for me, which I thought was actually pretty brilliant in the way that you all have laid that out in that way. Um, you know, kind of building off of that conversation, I want to I want to poke back with Richard and Amelia about, you know, in The Last of Us 2, you already had some fantastic mechanics that were coming from the previous game. It, it showed itself in, you know, the way you did, you know, stealth, the way you did movement, the way you did those kind of really intimate fights that wind up happening at very close combat spaces. Um, you know, how did you kind of build on those mechanics in the first game to deliver like an even more powerful player experience? I'll start off with Richard on that one. Uh, okay, good question. I can kind of, you know, ramble a little bit, but I think early on, you know, we went through some pre-production and it's those times when we open things up to the team and be like, you know, here's some here's some goals. Let's play around, and we get things like, you know, even as simple of like being able to go prone. You know, that was a that was a huge change from the last one, right? But it fits right in line with uh, some of the feelings of stealth. It works well with introducing things like grass, and even just the own pace of the game of like, okay, being able to slow things down a little bit in some moments, and being able to like look around and that feeling, that tension that we wanted to create intentionally. So that's something that fit in like really well with some of the overall design goals. And I felt like built on the previous series and then eventual and even things on the other side of being like how do we also increase mobility and uh, you know again just like a uh, movement set in terms of like level layout to adding those things that ellie can like squeeze through very quickly within the space of a layout right so you kind of have two different things and on one hand slow you down and another one increase your mobility to kind of give you more agency within the level layout give the level layout team a little more options a little more things to think about within the space that was at least maybe two examples of something I'll let Amelia talk on any uh, others that come to mind for her. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was, I was, I guess, thinking about like, um, well, just how uh, coming from the last of us part one, um, there, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I think we wanted to, to add or that we could blue sky, but we really wanted to be careful and um, be conservative about what we, what we add because um, everything we sort of add has a, has a consequence. And um, one of the things that we struggled a lot with early on is adding a lot more traversal uh, verticality to our environments um, because of how much we sort of rely on a very like cat and mouse um, uh, stealth mechanics. Um, you know, when you are in trouble, we really like to 
uh, control the amount of pressure that we have on the player that the um, enemies can sort of push on you. And as we sort of add verticality, like that adds another layer to the chest puzzle, another layer to the chest puzzle. And it means that um, if you are able to climb as well as like Nathan Drake, for instance, because we, we sort of started out with some prototypes of Ellie like climbing all sorts of stuff. And uh, that means that that really means that you, you have a lot of mobility, but then the enemies, how do they counteract that? Um, if you're able to sort of like all of a sudden climb up into the ceiling or climb up here, you're completely out of view of all the enemies. And it really, really changes things because in The Last of Us Part One, Joel could barely jump. Like he, he could maybe traverse onto something, but uh, he, he didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of jumping mechanics in there. And so that was a big risk early on, um, like how much we really want to add in because it really, really does change the um, uh, the combat. And so it changed how our AI have to think about like move around spaces and stuff like that. So that took a long time, but in the end, we came up with something that it really feels, I think, um, like there's a lot of pressure on the player, but yet you have so many more tools at your disposal than you did in the previous game. Um, and I go back and play The Last of Us Part One and I try to dodge, you know, when they try to punch me and it doesn't work, there is no dodge button. And um, I just, I, I love the, the new sort of ways that you can interact with the spaces and it just kind of makes the world feel um, just a lot more of a convincing world that you can live in when you can see all those things that you can, can actually do and interact with the space. Like, like Richard said, squeezing through um, just a little hole between like two like shelves and a grocery store or something like that. And that sort of really pairs with the kind of physicality that we really wanted to have you feel as Ellie, as a small person with all these scary scary enemies around you that squeezing through spaces like that um, kind of has that sort of sense of like hiding and seeking. And um, it just, uh, as I said earlier, it just is a long iterative process of adding and subtracting, adding and subtracting, and then subtracting a lot and then adding a little bit more and that sort of stuff. So. Really quick before I pivot, uh, how much of the interactivity parts kind of dictated the way level design happened in that game? Was it something that came in kind of from the conceptual stages of saying, you know, I know that there was a part of that interactivity that wind up being, you know, a way that you kind of told narrative pieces of the story as well, but it feels, it feels like you know, thinking about the game now that that maybe have been a part of the, the conversation from the, from the early beginnings of that game too. Is, am, am, I, am I right in thinking that or am I off? Well, I mean, I, th I think that um, in the end, like our, our, our game design, our systems, our, our level design is in service of telling a story. Um, but at the very beginning of production, um, it's all thinking about um, systems and setups. And that's what we're doing is just we're creating combat setups. We're creating little like puzzles, traversal things, all sorts of things like that, to try to really like flesh out those systems to see how much we can possibly interact with the world and interact with NPCs in meaningful and interesting ways. Um, and then that sort of, as we sort of get further in production, starts to get layered in with those, uh, with the narrative and figuring out like, okay, we had this really cool setup. Um, I think that could really help tell this moment, trying to like, um, describe the, the feeling that Ellie's supposed to be feeling at this moment. Um, and I think that this particular environment that we, we tested out actually really works well with that. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like it was um, at the forefront of the, of the conversation and not something that kind of came in after, you know, things kind of, kind of landed. 
Um, Nate, I'm really curious because I think one of the, the, the parts that I, as a player, think about often when you have a <clears throat> much larger sprawling game like you have, you and, you and Cameron with, with uh, Miles Morales, is the push and pull between, you know, giving the player the, the narrative spots to kind of get through the, the main quest of the story while also giving them tasks to do to kind of, you know, boost their level or to get them into, you know, adding uh, uh, side quests and stories that kind of fill out the world in that way. You know, how did you go about the, the process of balancing those various tasks with the kind of, you know, complete gin story uh, that, that you wind up sharing in, in Tsushima? Well, we started out thinking of the game as an anthology of stories, not just, you know, necessarily uh, the hero's arc. And that really informed a lot of how we thought about the construction of the game um, in that if you kind of followed your curiosity, you would find something worth discovering, be it a reward or a story. And so the game was built around this idea of um, just being in, in, in the landscape, right? Versus being on a path defined by the story of Jin's transformation. Certainly that's the backbone of the game, but it's not, it's not the center for why the game got made, right? The, the, the reason that the game got made is that you could feel like you're a, a samurai in feudal Japan and everything that gets made is just to serve that one singular objective. And so in balancing it, you know, we uh, certainly create uh, the story of Jin's transformation in the ghost. And then all those other things, um, you just need to make sure that they uh, are kind of satellites around that central theme. Um, you know, how does getting to know the sensei who had a bad relationship with his student um, comment on uh, our hero's relationship with his teacher, his uncle. And so that the stories aren't sort of completely independent from one another, the experiences are isolated, but they all feel like they're kind of going towards one uh, truth, one statement about who this character is. Mm. Yeah, the, 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 although, yeah, that, that totally, totally fits. I, I, thinking back on what I've played, all those convergences do feel like they actually do meet at that pinnacle, right? Of, of figuring out what, what Jin's story was and his, his feelings of honor and his feelings of family and his feelings of connective connectiveness to, to, to the world around him. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think that that definitely does pull that into focus in a different way that I hadn't thought of before. Um, Cameron, I'm kind of curious about that from the Miles Morales perspective. You, you, you have this amazing world that you've built and you have this, kind of bunch of characters that are, you know, ones that the, the, the community kind of understands. And then you have this kind of, you know, newer character who you're still trying to, to give enough of a footing for people to, to, to give a lot of care about and care for. How, do you, how did you all kind of balance that out in terms of gameplay, again, of kind of building out that initial yeah. story arc in, in, in within the game and also giving the player lots of things to do to kind of fill that in? Yeah, I mean, I think that for us was a challenge because we really, I mean, we have the central story, right? And throughout our production, there were, <laughs> there was a lot of back and forth is how do we get the player to branch out from the story? You know, like, uh, that's the thing about, I appreciate about Ghost. I did feel that anthology of it, like all the stories came together. And so I wanted to go out there and I felt I was pulled in many directions. And for us, you know, since we had this main, somewhat at times urgent story, um, 
there was a lot of in our process, like how can we pull down the urgency and then push the player out to go explore and check out some other stories and check out New York and see like, hey, there's other stuff going on. I think a, a big thing for us is we tried to build this connection to New York through one of our mechanics, which was like a friendly neighborhood app. And essentially, it's just kind of fancy presentation to show quests that the citizens of New York is posting for miles. And so having that kind of reconnected into the different, well, not different boroughs, different districts of New York to try to kind of pull them out there, along with other like economy things and just it's fun to swing around. So we have, we have that as a, a luxury in some ways. People are just swinging us around the city naturally. And so we gently try to nudge them to side content while they're um, doing that. Yeah. Um, Corey, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that from Half-Life, <clears throat> Half-Life Alex perspective, because you have a, a very special thing that you have to account for, which is the player and in their, their bodies being in VR physically. You know, your eyes get tired, your head gets tired from 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 having a headset on. Uh, what's the conversation that you all kind of talked through about, you know, how how do we want to kind of display this story in a way that also gives you the satisfaction as a player to feel like you've had this epic journey, but also doesn't make you tired when you when you're like, I need to take this headset off or my eyes hurt for 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 being that close to a VR screen. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that before you wrap. Sure, sure. Um it was interesting during the development of of Alex, if only that as we got further and further along, that sort of fatigue that you're talking about sort of went away. Like we initially, when we started, we were initially thinking that, oh, well, we'll design chunks of content um, and then kind of have little little safe areas in between, um, you say like 30 to 45 minutes in through an experience where it felt like, oh, okay, I can take a breather, I can take a break um, and and, you know, come back when I'm, when I'm refreshed. Um, and as sort of the, the technology got better, our headsets got better. Um, the comfort level went up, but also the content just kept getting more and more engaging. And so it was actually pretty funny sometimes during some of the play tests, you would have somebody in there for two hours just playing and they would take the headset off and there's like, how long am I in there for? You know, it's like, well, two hours is like, oh my goodness, I've never been in VR for that long before. And then they would just put the headset back and keep going. Um, so it was it was really inspiring in some ways uh, when that stuff uh, uh, happened. But with like regards to the the narrative stuff, um, being actually physically Alex um, is an interesting proposition because you're able to manipulate everything in the world much more than you used to be able to before, and um, being able to tell a story through Alex became uh, an interesting challenge. Since in the previous games we've never had the the protagonist talk. Um, like Gordon is a, is a silent protagonist. He's always getting talked to. Um, and it was interesting to try and explore what happens if we make Alex talk. And uh, it was interesting because even on the team, I think we were probably split 50-50 that that was going to be a good idea or not. Um, and it wasn't until we actually started executing on it and putting real voiceover and stuff like that into the, into the, into the game that uh, people started responding more positively to it. And then even making changes where it's like, oh, well, we've discovered that the more that Alex emotes things happening, it actually is a negative uh, for players' responses because they may not be actually scared by a zombie that comes around the corner. Um, and so you would just, we would just remove that kind of stuff and it would just become smoother and smoother and, uh, and couple uh, the, the player sort of with the personality of Alex. 
But then also um, we had uh, uh, Russell that uh, was in your ear the whole time. And so he could, he could comment on things that you were seeing. And so that just kept it fun and light. So even if the player was feeling particularly um, scared or a tense situation, he could make light of it. And, uh, and, and it would just sort of uh, break the ice a little bit. And the player, you could see them physically kind of calm down when, when Russell would come back over the radio. So it was a fun way to, to weave the, the, the narrative of the story with Russell talking to you and Alex talking back just about all the things that you're doing together as you move through the, through the environment. Um, so, yeah. That's super cool. I, I, I've had those moments in VR too, where I've just been like, what, where, where am I? I don't know what's happening at this point. And now I'm <laughs> definitely sucked into to kind of getting into, into the new one, uh, into, into more of the game for, for, for to sort of speak. Um, Here's the fun part of doing all of this. I get to give away an award right now. So I'm super excited about that. Um, now we're going to dig into it. The winner of the DICE Award for Outstanding Achievement Game Design is Hades. Congratulations. Congrats, congrats, congrats. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> super, wow. super cool. Amir, do you have any, any quick thoughts to share with, with folks? Uh, congrats. As you, as you, thank you very as much. You snag this bad boy. Oh, well, it's a huge honor to have been nominated uh, among a group of, of of just amazing games this year, really, really well-designed games, uh, games that try to do a lot of what we hope to do in terms of like melding world building and atmosphere and narrative with their mechanics. And um, frankly, it's just amazing to even be included in the conversation with these games, which are huge, uh, <laughs> huge, inspiring productions that are really, really complicated to put together and, you know, means a lot for our our small design team. So thank you very much. Well, again, thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for using your talents to make these beautiful, wonderful games and these experiences. Uh, Nate, Amir, Corey, Amelia, Richard, and Cameron, thank you so much for being here and for being a part of our award show today. Super excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.